Good morning. It is good to have each and everyone out with us for our morning half of our worship service. And if you have your Bibles, be opening up with me first to John uh, chapter 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10. We're going to start reading in the 16th verse. Got several passages of Scripture to read this morning. And this is directed at those who are already children of God to remain faithful, to remember the things that God tells to do really aren't that impossible, really aren't that difficult if you think about it in its entirety. We already have our example, Jesus Christ, who's already done it. I didn't say it was I didn't say it wasn't going to be hard. I didn't say that. I said it's not impossible. So whenever we think about being who we should be, let that go into our minds this morning as as we are going into our reading. Jesus is talking about him being the shepherd of the sheep, him being the good shepherd previous to our reading. He talks about a hireling. A hireling is going to flee when the sheep gets in trouble. But a shepherd, the shepherd, will give his life to the sheep, and Jesus has already done that. So in his in his speaking here in John chapter 10, verse 16. This is what he says. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Well, let's stop right there in Christ speaking already. Whenever Jesus is talking about those who folks who are around him, he wasn't talking about, you're it. It's not what he says. You're it, and that's all there is going to be. It's not what he says. He says there's more to come. Not only do you do who I see, but there's going to be more folks to bring to this fold, but there's only going to be one flock and one shepherd. There's a lot of folks I wish you could hear this message who thinks division is the way to go, who think there will be many pathways to get to heaven, many different ways, but Jesus says, no, there's one. One who are going to be in my name, those who are going to be doing the Father's will, one. One flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 17, Jesus says it. So that there may be one flock, I lay down my life. Choice. He wasn't forced to do it. It was his life to see how fit to do however he says they thought however he wanted to do. It was his life. But guess what he did? Take a wild guess at what he did. He was obedient to his father even unto the end. Therefore he says right there, I lay down my life so that there may be one flock. Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life but it doesn't stop there, does it? He says that I may take it again. That is a lesson in and of itself whenever Jesus spoke those words in verse 17. There is another life waiting for us. I know there's a lot of folks out there who are thinking this is it. This is the only one. Once you stop breathing here upon this earth and you and you pass on from this life, that's it. Nothing but darkness. Like turning the lights off. 
I'm here to tell you, no, there is not. Jesus just said it right there. There is another life to take hold of. And the vast majorities are going to take care of a life that's going to have to uh, endure death for an eternity. Wait a minute. You mean there's a life unto death? Think about it logically. In your knowledge of the Scriptures. Well, in the absence of those knowledge, let me say this. Revelation chapter 21 speaks of a second death. Second death. And this second death is involved in a lake of fire. So this second death is going to last forever. Yes, again. But isn't God going to save those as well? I'm sorry, no. Because God is not going to be in their presence. That's going to be in the absence of God. Picture a place here on this earth where there was no law. Folks could do whatever they want. We have, thankfully in this nation, we have laws. We have infrastructure. We have things set aside to keep folks, for the majority, in the right pathway. To treat one another with, a, with some respect. The vast majorities do that. I'm not saying everybody does that, but the vast majorities do. You might say, well, I disagree with that. Well, okay. You're, you, have, you are entitled to that disagreement. The reason why I say that is... You can go out there in your yard without complete total fear of dying. Okay. We have we have we have laws, we have rules. In the absence of those, you really couldn't go out in your backyard and be completely unafraid. Because people just do whatever they want to do. It'd be a total different society, would it not? Totally different. All right, we see the, the absence of a rule. We see the absence of an infrastructure. God has instituted His law. And He made it an effect by His Son. And He tells us, you're either abiding my word or you do not abide in my word. Actions have consequences. If you don't abide in his law, you don't abide in his love, well, you'll have to endure that lake of fire for an eternity. This is general scriptural knowledge. I'm giving it to you. But if you abide in my love, you abide in my son, everlasting life awaits you. Like the reference that was going to be given this morning in John 14, 6. Christ says this, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through or by me, whether you have the King James or New King James. New King James says through. So we think about this, folks. Are we thankful that we have laws instituted here? Oh, yes. Are we thankful that God has instituted His law today? Oh, Yes. We had better believe. Because in the absence of God's law, there might even very well be an absence of man's law. The reason why I say that. Whenever Jesus says that I may take it again, if you are adherent to God's law, 
there exists a life unto everlasting life. Let that be a wake-up call for those who are listening to this message. If you find yourself outside of Christ, not putting Christ on, not following God's laws, well, you're following Satan's instructions. Satan has no laws. He likes anarchy. He likes confusion. He likes those things. Like this morning's reference to in our Bible class that in Philippians 4.13, we've really studied on strength for the past two and a half sessions. God wants strong children in His kingdom. So we, we, we consider that. That there is a life to partake. There is a life to take hold of and one that has been promised of the Father. When Jesus says, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. He says, no one's forcing me to do this. No one is taking my life. But I lay down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from whom? My Father. We think of Jesus, this all-powerful, mighty being. He is. He is the Son. He is God the Son with three parts of Godhead, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is God the Son speaking. This power that He received, He received from the Father. And this opportunity that Christ had to lay down His life was commanded of the Father, but He didn't force Him to do it. Jesus said, I love you. I love Jerry. Put your name there. I love your name. To go to the cross for you. So that you don't have to go to that cross. The reason why I say that. The, the reason why I say that we don't have to go to the cross. We don't have to be guilty of our sins when we confess and repent and pray for those sins to be forgiven. They are forgiven. And God no longer holds us accountable of those things that we repent of. So as we can take hold of this life. I have power to, take, to lay it down and have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Do you know what a command is? A command is someone of authority telling you something that you have to do. Do this or else. Could you imagine the, 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 the father-son scenario, God the Father talking to God the Son, and the God the Father giving God the Son this command, you got to do this. This is what I'm telling you to do. Because if you don't do those things, all those people down through the ages are going to be lost. They're not even going to have an opportunity to come to me. They're not. Imagine that interaction, you know, like a father to a child. God the son, he knew, he knew the reason what he had to do, but the father had to give the command. But let's, let's, let's take our, our knowledge out of it for just a second. A father telling a son what he has to do. Did the son ever ask the question, well, why did I do that for? 
Did you ever ask that as a child? Father, mother, why do I got to do that for? <laughs> You're right, Brother Mark. There's always a why. Why do I got to do that? Now, Jesus had a little bit of a leg up as a son because he already knew. He already knew the reason for him coming to this earth happened in the garden. When sin came to God's creation, there needed to be an escape. There needed to be a, 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 a propitiation. I almost lost the word. There needed to be a, a sin that needed to be paid. That was the Son. The command from the Father says, Abide in my love. Love them just as I love you. And they can come unto me through your sacrifice. Think about that conversation. That's like the conversation that Abraham had to Isaac or in the absence of going up on the mountain to offer our son. Because his son asked him, where's the sacrifice? Dad, I mean, where's the dad? Uh, God, God's going God's to provide that sacrifice. He did. Kind of beat around the bush, but he did. In the, abs in, the, in the act of Abraham binding Isaac, don't you think Isaac went, well, wait, 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 Dad. Wait a minute. What's going on? Why? There's always a Why? And in there, in that act of Abraham going to slay his son, God stopped him. Don't harm the lad. Instruction from the Father to the Son. For Jesus allows us an opportunity to be part of his flock through that sacrifice. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. So we see an opening. We see an opportunity. We find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10, some instructions for you and I. We have the Word. We need to use that Word in its entirety. I did say entirety, right? Not just bits and pieces. Not just parts that we like. Not just our favorite parts. Well, my favorite parts is from cover to cover. From Genesis to Revelation. Which favorite parts do you have? I hope the same. We have a... Well, I've made the comment several times. I like correction. I do like correction. I hope all of us like correction. Because in the absence of correction, we never made a change. Because correction results in change. The reason why I say correction. Do we know what prison, do we know what department prison is? It's called the Department of Correction. Someone broke the law, someone did something bad. They go to the Department of Corrections, and typically it's time served, and they go through a, a change. Typically, when they go through the Department of Corrections, if they have want to get on the right track, they'll change their way of thoughts. They'll change their way of life and get on the right track. Same goes for you and I. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium. And Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Let's stop right there in verse 11. Verse 10, the word carefully is there. 
Do you know what carefully means? Carefully means paying attention to. Setting aside an observance. Carefully. Here's, here's your context for carefully. Do you know do y'all know what a, a carton of eggs are? A carton of eggs, right? When you when you have when you go to the store and you buy your carton of eggs, do you look at them first? Or you just take them off the shelf and go, half of them may be already broken and ruined. You ever consider, well, hey, you're very right. I ain't, you know, I buy eggs, I'll, I'll, I'll open up and look at them. But do you hand them like a box of cereal getting to the house? Do you put them at the bottom of the buggy? You typically get your eggs last, right? Because they're going to be on the top of everything. So, you know, that's, that's a good thought. Well, think about it. Or you put them in the little front. If you don't have your children or grandchildren in there going with you, that's what carefully means. Setting aside a different set of instructions for something that's careful. You wouldn't handle a carton of eggs like a hammer, would you? Can you stole? You can throw a hammer down, it ain't gonna hurt it, is it? Well, a block of wood, you throw that down, you're not gonna hurt it. Box of cereal, you can throw that down, it might dent the box, but the contents are still going to remain the same. But you drop that carton of eggs, you're going to have some broken eggs. Carefully. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. So here, to carefully follow something is to pay attention. Have a certain set of observance to what's happening. Carefully following my doctrine. What are you really talking about, Paul? What are, you, what are you really talking about when you say carefully follow my doctrine? You looked into it. You understood every single meaning, context, and understanding that he would have you to understand. That's what Paul's saying. You have carefully followed my doctrine. Manner of what life? First one's life. Manner of life. What type of life are we actually living? Are we living a life that says, Christ, I want to be in your fold. I want to be part of this flock that you're talking about. We just read it. Whenever he said there's going to be one flock. Does our life look like Jesus Christ? That's either a yes or no answer. Now, I'm not saying any of us are equal to Christ. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I have sinned just as much as you have sinned. We're dealing with it. That's the, that's the Achilles. That's the trick. That's the, that's the kicker. That we're dealing with it. We have difficulties. We have things that we're, that we're going on in our everyday life that affects our spirituality. Do we say, no, nah, I ain't worried about it. God's going to take care of it. That is not what we need to say. Whenever Paul is telling Timothy, for you have followed, carefully followed my doctrine. In all manner of life. That's our first example, right? In all manners of life. What type of life are we living? Does it look like the world or is it holy? That is, set apart. Purpose. What's your purpose? You know what your purpose is? As a child of God. Keep in mind this lesson is centered on those who have already confessed Christ, those who have put Him on, and living out their spiritual life right now in Christ. Do you know what your purpose is? I know what my purpose is. My purpose is to go out into the world and teach folks about Christ. Let that sink in. That's our purpose. 
the life that we live, previous to this, right, we, we, used to, we, we just use life. And if our purpose is to teach Christ, should we not be living a life that looks like Christ? We should be. So if we're living out our lives as a child of God, we're going to look like Christ, which the term Christian comes to mind. Now how about faith? In all manner of faith. First off, do we know what faith is? It's belief in things unseen with evidence proved of. Do you trust that there's a God? Do you trust that there's Jesus Christ who came to this earth? Do you trust that there's the Holy Spirit abiding in you right now? Do you trust that that, that exists? Do you have faith? In God. Your faith is going to resemble our first two examples. Well, first Paul's example. Life and purpose. Do those work hand in hand with your faith? I seriously hope so. And long-suffering. We think about one of the big characteristics of God that he is long-suffering. How long has he been waiting for his I'm done. He's already done said that once. He said, he, he said I'm fed up with it. I'm he repented God that he had made man. He was ready to wipe it all away and just don't. He was ready to destroy everything living upon the earth. Why? Because of the wickedness of me continually. From that point to here in 2023, that's been a few years, has it not? That's been a few blue moons. He's still waiting. Still patient. And he still sees folks faithfully serving him. Even unto this day, he sees those folks faithfully serving him. He's seen you back in the days when he looked into Noah and seen time all the way through the days, even unto this day. He is long-suffering. How must you and I be long-suffering toward one another? toward the lost, even toward ourselves to be long-suffering. The next one is love in verse 10 that Paul is getting the point across to Timothy. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, and love. How much did Paul love the church? You might say, yeah, he loved it. No, he loved it exceedingly. He had that agape type of love for the church. He's seen them as an extension of himself, just as the church of itself is an extension of Jesus Christ. How much love do we have for the church today? Paul had great love for the church. This example this morning, as we've helped those in need who are in the church, we're even helping for the church. We've helped them. We must do so to extend our love. An extension of that love is to welcome those who are absent to come back. And that's a big one. That's a big one ever since two years ago. That's a big one. We think about those who are absent and choose to do so when we show them the love that they are missed, to show them the love that they need to come back, to show them the love that if they don't, they're going to be lost. That's not saying they don't come here at Booth Chapel or their, or their regular congregation. If they don't start come back worshiping God on His set-apart day, they shall be lost. 
I'm not saying that. God is saying it. You might say, oh, you're judging folks. I'm not doing it. The Word's doing it. God Himself is doing it. So when we look at ourselves and we say, I don't measure up. I'm not where I should be. We need to make that change. We need to have that correction as we made a few minutes ago. And perseverance is the very next one. Why you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. You know what perseverance means? It means I'm going to get this done. I'm going to be here. I'm going to make this dedicated. I'm going to do this. And nothing is going to come in between me and it. I'm going to serve you, God, and nothing is going to come between me and you. There's a lot of folks who have lost their perseverance. We need to get it back. We need to put our focus back in our Heavenly Father and what He has done for us so we can do for Him. Verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. He continues on the things that we carefully followed. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, and persecutions. If you don't think the per church is being persecuted today, you're not looking hard. You're not looking at all. How is the church being persecuted can you go out there in the community and talk about Jesus without, without getting any kickback, without getting any rebuke? Can you do that? Nope. You cannot. And unfortunately, it's happening right now. Well, we can talk about all kinds of other stuff. We can talk about the devil and all of his works. But for some reason, we can't talk about God and his works. Oh, we can talk, we can talk about it in our Christian circles. But go out there into the world. Talk to someone who is lost. How much arguments are you going to get? You're going to get them. They're going to call you names. They're going to look at you funny. But guess what? Guess who they did that to first? Jesus Christ. For he told us. He told them. He tells us today. They're going to hate you. Because they hated me first. So my question at this time, at the end of this lesson, I had more. I had I had more prepared. Someone told me once in a in a thirty minute or forty five minute sermon, prepare for three. I'm not going to talk for three, even though I said I was going to take a few minutes, and I've done so. I wasn't. It wasn't my aim. So as we see folks hating us, as they hated Jesus, are we hating Jesus right now? By our unfaithful living. By just our short examples here. By following, carefully following the doctrine of Paul. That's just Paul. We have many more other doctrines to carefully follow. What type of person are we after immersion? Are we of that one flock? Or have we gone astray? Well, I remember a parable. About 99 sheep who stayed where they were supposed to. And one went astray. Guess what that shepherd did? He went out looking for it. And he found it. And he brought it back. Jesus is ready to do that right now for us this morning. If repentance needs to happen, why wait? Why tarry? As, we, as he welcomes us to come back and he adds us back to the fold becoming a child of God yet again. Again, picking up where we left off. 
Does that need to happen this morning? Why don't we do so as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation?